Okay, good morning everyone. Welcome to the Life and Torah of Our Leaders, live Tuesday mornings with First Seder Bismedrish. And a special welcome to our Torah Anytime viewers and listeners. And uh, we have in our show sponsors, Parnas HaChaydesh, we call them monthly sponsors for different shurim. And for this series, The Life and Torah of Our Leaders, the Parnas HaChaydesh for Chaydesh Shavat is one of our Torah Anytime uh, participants, and that's the families of Halpern Pollock Schechter of Manchester, England, who's sponsoring Lili Nishmas, their mother and grandmother, Devera Bas Yisrael Yosef, Allah Shalom, whose yard site was yesterday on Hey Shvat, and also Lili Nishmas, my mother, Harini Kaparis Mishkova, Hindu Bashmol Akayan. We thank them for their friendship and for their sponsorship. So today we're going to talk about Rabbi Yaakov Yehoshua Falk better known as the Pnei Yehoshua. The Pnei Yehoshua, whose yard site will be next week on Yud Dalit Shvat, Tov Kuf Tezayin 1756, which makes this his 265th yard site, Habaleinu Letoiva, next week. Who was the Pnei Yehoshua? So the Pnei Yehoshua was born in the year 1681, Tov Memalev Chof Kislev, in the city of Krakow. His father was named Reb Tzvi Hirsch, his mother was named Miriam, and she was the daughter of someone who was called Hamafursam, the well-known person, Reb Avram Halevi, who was a son-in-law of Reb Yeshua of Krakow, known as the Megine Shloimai, who was the Rav in Krakow after the Megala Amukais from the year 1633 to 1648. So he was named at his bris Yehoshua, after his, after his uh, grandfather, the Mogine Shloimai, who was named Yehoshua as well. And in the Hakdama to Pnei Yeshua, he writes, B'Shem Hashinu Yishali, Nikras Gam Kem B'Shem Yaakov. It seems some point early in his life, he must have been sick probably, and they added a name, Yaakov, so... He was then was then called Yaakov Yehoshua, and he always signed his name Yaakov Yehoshua from Krakow, me Krakow. No matter where he was, we have we have uh, Haskamas to Svarim that he gave when he was a rav in Lemberg in Lvov. He writes Yaakov Yehoshua me Krakow, Hachoyna Lvov, the one who's living now in Lvov. And the same thing when he was a rav of Berlin, as we'll see, he gave Haskama to the Sefer of the Taz, on Shulchan Aruch, again, Yaakov Yeshua Mikrakow, Chaynekak Berlin Medina. So that was how he signed his name, Yaakov Yeshua from Krakow. Now he grew up in Krakow, it seems that there were, the Magine Shleimai had many descendants and family, and they were big Tamid Chachamim, some of them Gedolim, and they all, I hate to use the word, hung out, but they all were found in, uh, in Krakow, and he grew up over there. It seems he was sent to the city called Raisha. Raisha is about uh, a couple hours um, east, a drive east of uh, Krakow, to his uncle. His mother's brother was named Reb Shmuel. Um, and uh, he learned there for a little bit in that, in that, in that city. I saw somewhere that he learned um, by someone named Reb Gavriel, 
who was a grandson through marriage, I think a grandson through marriage, or a grandson of the Rebbe Reb Heschel of Krakow, who eventually at the end of, uh, later on became the Rav of Nicholsburg, so he's called as Reb Gavriel of Nicholsburg. However, it's the dates don't really work out because he had a yeshiva or a uh, besmedrish in Krakow when he was living in Krakow, but he had left Krakow before the year of 1684. So if the Pnei Yeshua was born in 1681, he was less than three years old by the time Rav Gavriel left. So I'm not 100% sure how to corroborate if he actually learned by this Rav Gavriel um, or not. After Raisha, he went a little bit more east to Lvov, or known as Lemberg. He went to a relative of his, Reb Chaim Righteous, who was a who was a uh, who was a Talmud Chacham there, and he learned there. Now, in Pnei Yeshua, there are numerous places, at least nine places that I found that he writes Chidushe Torah that he was Mechadesh Bialdusi when I was a young boy. Um, in uh, Shabbos Chafei, he says, This is how I would answer when I was a child. Um, he writes, I remember when I was young, I said this. Um, in Ksubus Kofalif, he says, I, uh, I authored a pamphlet when I was young. Um, in Gitin Samachdalit again, Kvar Chibarti Bialdusi Kuntras Achroin. I wrote another Kuntras in when I was uh, a child. So he was Machadish Chidushetera as a young child that eventually he incorporated into his Sefer later on, his Svarim of the Pnei Yeshua. In Lvov, he married the daughter of Reb Shlema Segal Landau. His wife's name, um, the girl that he, the woman that he married was Leah. And uh, he lived there supported by his father-in-law, and they had a daughter named Gittel. Um, he, uh, Bachrim would flock to him. He was Mechadish Chidushe Um The Rav of the city, Rav Pinchas Moshe Charif, made him in charge of all of the Melamdim, all of the Rabbeim. No one could be a Melamed without first getting some type of uh, approval from the Pnei Yeshua. So he was being very successful there in... Um, in um, in in Lvov in Lemberg, in his preface to Pnei Yeshua, he relates the following story. He writes, "Yom Charein Hashem." It was the day of the anger of Hashem. Gimel Kislev Tov Samach Gimel, seventeen o three, or maybe the end of seventeen o two. I don't know exactly when it found it fell out that year. He says, "I was learning with my friends and my Talmidim, and all of a sudden there was a massive explosion, and many barrels of." Um, gunpowder exploded and uh, it burnt down and destroyed many, many houses. And he describes big, giant houses, strong, with fortified walls, became dust. They were fell to the ground. And 36 people um, were killed in this massive explosion in Lvov. And included in those 36 people were the Pnei Yeshua's wife, um, Leah, and her mother, and her mother's father was an Zokein uh, Reb Shmuel Katz, and his young daughter Gittel as well was killed in this explosion. And he says that the beams of my house, the entire house collapsed around me, and was lay, he was laying under the, ru- the rubble and the ruins of his own home. And he says after a quarter of a, or a third of an hour, 15 or 20 minutes, he heard on tap 
um, on top of the rubble, many, many people were trying, were running, and I guess they were trying to extricate people from the rubble, but by, by, but, um, by walking and running on the rubble, they happens to be, they trampled and smashed many people who were under as well. I think he says even more than the people that were actually killed in the explosion. And he says, at that point, I knew I might be saved, so I was no longer in a vadai misa, in a definite um, situation of death. I went to a suffix, to a doubt of pikuach nefesh, of sakonis nefoshes. So at that point, he says, I said to myself, Hashem, if you'll get me out, and you'll build for me a bias nemon, that I'll be able to have talmidim, lo yemna atzmi bikoisli beis ha-medrish, I will not um, hold myself back from the beis medrish, to learn bi'iun in great depth, shas and paiskim, and to go into the depth of halacha, and he says, this was a derech halimut that I really always wanted to do, because my grandfather, the Megine Shloimai, um, my grandfather, the Megine Shloimai, um, was that was his mahalach in learning as well. That was his mahalach in learning. He says, even though at that point we didn't have his safer, but we heard from the family, he says, um, exactly how he learned, and therefore I wanted to go in his ways. And he writes before, as I finished, Nasa Shvil Mamish, somehow there was a nace and there was an opening, a pathway opened up in the rubble, the Yatsasi Bishalim Belifag, and I walked out of there without a scratch. And um, that's how he relates the story in Akdama to Pnei Yeshua. And at the end, when he signs his name, he writes, Ud Mutzel Me'esh, I'm an ember who was saved from the fire. Um, that is always used as someone who escapes some type of, uh, of, of uh, tsara. But here, there was also the literal um, play on words that he was an ember that had been saved from this explosion in Lvov. So after a little bit of time after that, he remarried. His second wife was named Taiba, and she was the daughter of a very wealthy fellow named Rabbi Sacher Barish. His wife's name was Maitel, and she was known as the Reicha Maitel, the rich Maitel. Could be the money was from her family. That's what it sounds like, but um, that's what she was known. And he, she brought in, his wife brought in a dowry that was so much money that the Pnei Yeshua had it, Ad Yoim He was comfortable and wealthy until the day of his death. Now, as we're going to start his career now, we're going to see that in every Rabbonus that he went, and as we'll see, there were many, many, many positions that he took, the Pnei Yeshua, number one, was a very, took a strong stance on things. He was not a politician, so he didn't go for anybody's political uh, shenanigans, for lack of a better word. And the fact of the matter that he was independently wealthy made it that he had the latitude to do that. He had the freedom to do that, because what's the worst they're going to do? Not pay him? He doesn't need their money anyways. So therefore, this is, what, uh, this is how his life um, uh, began. His life as a Rav began. So it seems that he didn't want to live in Lvov after um, he got married because his first father-in-law was still there and perhaps it was too much of a tsar for him. So he decided he's going to move and wherever he went, he took a yeshiva with him. So even though he was a rab, but he always had a yeshiva. He decided to move his yeshiva far away from Lvov. So Lvov, Lemberg is... Um, at that time was in the southeastern corner of Poland, and now it's a little, right over the border in the Ukraine. And he went uh, more north to Lublin, which is still considered like South Poland, it's more like mid-Poland, um, mid-eastern Poland. 
And, but it's pretty far from uh, Lvov, a city called Karov, or Karov, near Lublin. That was his first Rabbonus. A few years later, in 1706, Tav um he went to a city called Richval, another little uh, hamlet in, in Poland. And over there, the uh, leaders, the Parnassim, the, uh, the, the shakers and the movers there, um, were, were people who took advantage of the, of the financial situation of others, and uh, he exposed them. So that Rabbanus didn't last too long, also a couple of years. In 1709, he went, 1709, he went to another city called Lukava, or something like that, another little city. Again, over there he had issues, and uh, he made, he, he, there was trouble for him there. Um, after that, his mother-in-law um, arranged that he should become the rav of a city um, in called Tarlo or Tarla or in the Yizker um, um, booklet of Frankfurt. Um, when they talk about the Pnei Yeshua, they call it Tar- Tarli. So it was a city that near Ostrovs in, 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 in Poland. And she actually built a base medrash for him there, hoping that maybe that will be uh, a way for him to settle down there. But in that place, he also had Saurus. And uh, wherever he went, there was, there was issues. So he was bouncing around from Rabonis to Rabonis. In Tafay and Dalid, um, the Chacham Tzvi, the Chacham Tzvi, so that's uh, 17, uh, 1714, the Chacham Tzvi came to Poland. And he became a rav in Poland, and at that time, um, the he he became acquainted with the Pnei Yeshua. He had given a bechina to some of the rabbanim around, and he was very impressed. And he finally asked him, "Where are you a rav?" He thought he's a big rav somewhere, and he told him he's a rav in a little shtetl somewhere. So the chamsi couldn't get over it, and he says, "Da, you should know, you're really being groomed and ready for something much bigger than this." And in Tafan's Ayin Zayin. The Chacham Tzvi became the Rav of Lvov, of Lemberg. And um, right after that, a city called Liska. Now, there's two cities in Poland. I couldn't corroborate exactly which one it was. There's a small little village near Lemberg called Lesko in southeast Poland. And then there's another city a little bit more um, northwest of Lvov called Liska, which seems to be a little bit of a bigger city. And the only reason I'm pointing that out is because it may have a, it may make a difference in understanding the following story. Because they came to the Chacham Tzvi and asked him to be the Rav in their city. If it was a little tiny village, it's hard for me to understand why would they ask the Rav of the big city of Lemberg to be their Rav. If it's a bigger city, it makes a little bit more sense to me. Again, but I'm not 100% sure. So he told them, if you'll give me 50 adumim, some type of, uh, of coin, I'll be, so they, I'm sorry, they came to him and they asked him, and they asked him that they're looking for a rav. So he said, if you'll give me a certain amount, 50 adumim, I'll go myself to be the rav. They said, wow, okay, you'll come be the rav. They never dreamt that he would come be the rav. So he says, okay, but come back in three months. In the meantime, he sent a message to the Pnei Yeshua that he should come to Lemberg and he should be ready to travel to this city, Lesko, or Liska. And when the Rosh Kehila came back after three months, say, okay, we're ready for you to come to be the Rav, he said, you should know, Gavra de Chavasi, there's someone who's just like me, Hu Yehoshua, that's a play on a, those are the words of a Yerushalmi and Yevamis in the parrot called Mitzvah Chalitza. And uh, he was using those words to say, there's someone who's just as good as me, his name is Yehoshua, and that's the Pnei Yeshua, and you should take him as the Rav, and they took him as the Rav, and he was accepted there as the Rav. Um, now, 
there is a letter, Aksav Rabbanus, of Beis Elul of Tafayin Ches, that the city of Tikhtin, which is in northeast Poland, wrote Aksav Rabbanus um, to the Pnei Yeshua. However, what happened was that a few months earlier, this was in Elul of Tafayin Ches. A few months earlier in Iyar, Beis of Rishchidosh Iyar, the Chacham Tzvi had been Nifter. And there was a din of Dvarim, there was a Shaila in, in Levav, who should be the Rav. Once some wanted the Pnei Yeshua to be the Rav, as the Chacham Tzvi held him in such high esteem. And the others wanted the Chacham Tzvi's son-in-law, Rebar Yeleib, who, um, who was a grandson also of the Rebbe Reb Heshel of Krakow, to be the Rav. So it seems this went on for a few months, so even though the city of Tikhtin um, had sent Aksav Rabbonus in Elul, a few, however, eventually the Pnei Yeshua was accepted as the Rav of Levav, and he did not go to Tikhtin. In Levav, again, he had a big yeshiva. Many Talmidim came from all over. There's chuvas between him and some of the G'dayli Hadar. For example, his Mechutin, Ritzvi Hirsch, um, from a place called Zalkva, has a sefer called Art Svi, and he brings chuvas from the Pnei Yeshua. Um, in Simon Bey's, he talks about uh, chuva. He wrote about Chamet and Simon Dalid. He quotes the Pnei Yeshua about Psakim that he had said about a certain topic. So he already started answering Shilas and he was in touch with Gedali Hadar. Um, now, the Yaivitz, Rabbi Yankim um, Emden, the son of the Chacham Tzvi, um, writes in his Sefer the following story. That he writes that the Pnei Yeshua sent him a letter and described what happened in the year 1722 in Tuf Pei Shivaser Betamuz in the city of Lvov. What happened was um, Shabsai Tzvi had already died in 1676, so we're almost 50 years after this. But it had calmed down a little bit the Shabsai Tzvi movement. However, um, pockets were still um, popping up, and people were very nervous about it. And in Lvov, they made a cheirim on Shivaser Betamuz. He writes the Pnei Yeshua and six other rabbanim. And they made a chayr of him, anyone who is part of the Amuna of Shabsai Tzvi. And they had seven Rabbonim with seven Shoifrois, and it was a whole process over there. And many people got up on the bima, and they cried, and they, and they admitted that they had leanings towards him. And he made them, put them in chayrim, and they had to, um, when they left the shul, they had to be noyeg, they had to conduct themselves like avelim and chayrim, they had to do a shiva and a shleishim. And, um... The Pnei Yeshua, this was something that he was always very nervous about. He was afraid anyone who ever changed any Minhagi Yisrael to go to the Minig of Mikubalim, um, he was afraid that they might have some type of suspicion of Shabsai Tzvi, because that's what they used to do. They totally ignored Halacha and Gemara, and they just claimed to do things on Pikabola. And especially at the time, in those days, everybody wore Tzvilin and Chalamite, but Al the Mikubalim, people changed, and anyone who changed their minig, he would get very, very nervous from them, and um, that was the derech of the Shabsai Tzvi people, 
And even though the Pnei Yeshua was Isaac in Kabbalah, and if in the Sefer Pnei Yeshua, there's numerous places where he explains Gemaras or he explains Inyanim, Alpi Kabbalah, but his son-in-law writes that Besaif Yamav, he told his children to stop learning Kabbalah because he felt it's a he has to make some type of Geder that Hashat Srikhalakach was necessary for the times because people, he was afraid again of this underlying suspicion of Shabtai Tzvi. Um, that uh, was still in 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 Klal Yisrael. Um, an interesting hap- thing happened in Lvov. About six years after his rabbonus started in Tuf Pei Dalid, some of the kehila decided that they're just going to fire him and they're going to hire a new rav, Ramosha Chaim, a son-in-law of the Chacham Tzvi, a different son-in-law from before, a son-in-law of the Chacham Tzvi. And because of that, the Pnei Yeshua Pasha had to leave the city. He was forced out. And he went to a city nearby, Buchach, and his mechutin lived there, Rabar Yelebish, and his mechutin was very upset, what kind of chutzpah, you have a rav and you just throw him out for no reason, because you want a different rav, and he made an asifa. So Lvov was like the central city of a whole area, a Galil Lvov, the whole area of Lvov, and there were many cities that were part of this whole region. And he called an emergency meeting of all the Rabbanim, of all the people in those cities. And basically they, um, they detached themselves from the city of Lvov. And they say, we have no shaykhs to Lvov anymore. Lvov is independent. They have their Rav. And we, the rest of the region, we have our Rav, the Pnei Yeshua. And they said, we don't recognize the Rav of Lvov, Ramay Shechayim, as our Rav. So there was a uh, secession from the, uh, from, from the city of Lvov. In the year 1730, Berlin in Germany received permission from the government to have a chief rabbi for the first time, and they wanted the Pnei Yeshua, and they and they wrote Ishmein Kamayu. They wrote in his Ksav Rabbonus, "There's no one like him." Chad Bedara, he's one in this generation. Sar Hatayra. Um, so he moved to Berlin. In Berlin, in Tavtzadi Gimel, he gave Askama to the printing, the first printing of the Taz. And like we mentioned before, he signed his name, Yaakov Yeshua Mikrakow, Chayna, the one who's now living in the city of Berlin, Vahamedina. Um, while he was in Berlin, his daughter, An- Maital, named after his mother-in-law, passed away on uh, Yudalari, or Pesach Sheini of Tavtzadi Gimel. At the same time, he had another tzara. He passed against one of the, uh, the Parnassim, one of the uh, big gvirim of the city, Refaitel Mi Berlin, he passed against him in a dintaira, and because of that, this Gvir started making a lot of trouble and uh, trying to be ma'orer machloikis on the Pnei Yeshua. And because of these things, he became uh, weak and, and ill from it. Um, now, in the Pincus of, 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 of Frankfurt, where they talk about the Yizkar, when they write the Yizkar for the Pnei Yeshua, they write, Misham Niskabel Lekak Amsterdam. After Berlin, he was accepted as the Rav of Amsterdam, but he didn't go there. I don't know what the background of the story is, but that's what it says there in the Pincus of, of, uh, of Frankfurt. So he's having trouble here in Berlin from the Gvir and plus his, the, the uh, Tsar of his daughter. So in the year Tavtzadi Dalid, he became the Rav in the city of Metz, Mitz, Metz. Um, which at that time was part of Germany, now was like northern France. And there was a very chash of a rabbonist there, were a lot of Talmud Chachamim there. The, um, the Rav, Rabbi Yaakov Reicher, who was the author of the Teres HaShlamim, and Yaredeya, had been Nifter, and the Pnei Yeshua was, succeeded him as the Rav of Metz. 
Um, at that time in Metz, the Pnei Yeshua finished his Sefer Pnei Yeshua on the Mesechtas of Seder Nashim, and uh, he went to Amsterdam to print them because there was no printing house in Metz. In Tafsadi Tess, he printed the first Chelek of Pnei Yeshua. In the year Tav Kuf, the Rav of Frankfurt, the Shev Yaakov, Rabbi Yaakov Akoyin, was Nifter, and the Frankfurt Kehillah sent the Ksav Rabbonus to the Pnei Yeshua to take over the Kehillah. And in Tav Kuf Aleph, he became the Rav of Frankfurt. Um, right away in the beginning of his reign in Frankfurt, um, he already ruffled some feathers. And in the Chuvas that they've printed from him, in Simen Yud, he relates the following story. And he says that the uh, the the Jewish street um, in in Frankfurt was a small street, one block it seems it wasn't very big, and there were Jewish houses on both sides, and there was like row houses. There were no spaces between the houses, and what used to happen was if there would be a chas v'shalom, someone died on one side, so all the kehanim on that side in all the houses felt the it seems they were nigh, they all could become tame because all the houses are connected, so they'd all have to go to the other side of the street. And if there was a mace on the other side of the street, they pushed it out to leave the whole street. They had to go somewhere else to a different neighborhood. And um, he couldn't understand why they couldn't fix things very easily to separate houses, that there shouldn't be a problem. So he says uh, he was, um, so they told him, because even if they do that, because there's sewers underground, bivim, underground. And that brings the Tumah. So no matter, even if you fix above ground, the underground things um, bring the Tumah. And uh, there was once a mice with a chasana, and because it was all set up, and they had to leave the kehanim because of mesim. And he says, when I heard these words, mishtoimim umispale, he says, I, I, I didn't understand it. I never heard of such a thing, he says. The tumah should go under the ground. And then at this chasana, they started talking about it. And he says, when, I, when I'm going to get back to Mishnayis Masech Tahalas, when I go find one, so I'm going to see if there's any svara for an iser. And he has a long tshuva about it. And he wanted to find out what the original Chachamim in Frankfurt used to say about it. Maybe it's an old minig. And he said an elderly person told him that the Marsha Shach, remember the Marsha Shach was the Chassam Sefer's grandfather, or great-grandfather. He wrote the Sefer Kais Yeshua, he was a Rav in Frankfurt. So a Zokin told him that the Marsha Shach had said he doesn't know a reason for this Chumrah. So it seems to have been an old Chumrah, but he says he doesn't know the reason for it. So because of that, the Pnei Yeshua was Mavatalit, and he said there's no such reason for it. But that ruffled a lot of feathers because people said he's going against all our old Rabbanim. What's he doing here? So that was already one thing that ruffled people's feathers. Another thing, in Tav Kuf Yud, there was a machlaikis between the two most influential families in Frankfurt. One was called Khan, one was called Kuf, the, uh, um, and um, the family called Khan. They were from the Hasidim of the Pnei Yeshua, the other family. They didn't like the Pnei Yeshua. He couldn't make peace amongst the two, the two, uh, the two families. In the summer of Tav Kuf Yud, the Rebbe Rebbe Yenis and Ibeshitz, who was friendly with one of the families, came to try to make Shalom. Um, he was, was the Rav in Ehu, in those three cities of um, Altuna and Hamburg um, that we've talked about. And, um, and uh, he had actually, Rabbanus Abishas had actually taken over and met after the Pnei Yeshua had left. But after that, he went to the three cities of Ehu. And um, he also couldn't make Shalom. 
And um, after he left, there ended up being a Misa like this. Uh, there's a big machlaikas in history, the Rabbi Rabbianus Naibeshitz against, so to speak, Rabbi Yaakov Emden. And this has to do with Kabbalah and uh, the suspicions of Shabzai Tzvi-ism. And after he left Frankfurt, they found these kameyas, these amulets that uh, they thought were written by the Rebbe Rabbi Yainasen, and um, it, 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 it ignited a big uh, uh, machlaikas, and the Pnei Yeshu was very much involved in it, and it led to the Rebbe Rabbi Yainasen being put perhaps in Cheyrem, or at least people that follow him being put in Cheyrem. And because of this, the machlaikas got even bigger and bigger, and uh, because of this, they stopped paying um, the the Frankfurt Kila stopped paying him his salary. Like we said, he didn't really need it, but they, they, they stopped paying him, and he had a lot of tsaris, and because of that, he left Frankfurt. He didn't leave. He was still considered the Rav, but he did, he left the city. And Chaf Elul Tafkuf Yud, he left with his wife. His wife was, wasn't well, and they went to the city of Mannheim. And uh, he didn't go as a Rav. He went there as a guest. And Chaf uh, Tes Tishrei of 1752, Tafkuf Yud his wife was Nifter in Mannheim. Um, he was there for about a few months without without a wife, and Shushan Purim, he married a lady called Gittel Eger. Uh, she was the daughter of someone named Rebelio Eger, I think. And on her matzeva in Frankfurt, she was nifter many years after him in 1773, Tavkov Lama like 16 years after him, Chav Beis Marcheshvan, or Chav Dalit Marcheshvan, it says on her matzeva, Isha Yira Likim, she was a lady who feared God, um, her whole life she worked hard to support those who learned Taira and she would feed, it says on the Matzeva, she would constantly feed meals to the Bachrim in her house. She would wake up very early in the morning to daven tefillah b'kavani matzibur, to daven tefillah b'tzibur every morning. Shvacha ein lehimana, her praises are uh, innumerable. So that's who she was, she was a very chashiva um, woman that he married this lady Gittel. Um, he wanted to travel to Eretz Yisrael, but his age did not allow him to uh, travel. Um, in Tov Kuf Yud Beis, he printed the second Chalik of Pnei Yeshua on Brochus and Moyed, and at that time he left Mannheim and went to Worms. He went to Worms because it was a little closer to Frankfurt, and he was hoping that if they hear that he's close by, perhaps they can make some type of peace over there, and the two sides that were waging, some wanted him, some didn't want him, um, perhaps they'll be, they'll, uh, be able to bring him back. Um, in Tav Kuf Yud Gimel, um, 1753, so his friends in Frankfurt asked him to come back to give the Shabbos HaGaldo Jerusha, However, when he came, those, and they were hoping that that was a way to ease him back in, but when he came, those who were against him, they refused to let him uh, give the Jerusha, and he had to go back to Worms afterwards. Again, in Tavkuf Yigimel, he thought about going to Eretz Yisrael, but he, he wasn't able to. Um, in Worms, he also had problems with people, and um, it's interesting, the Chida traveled from Eretz Yisrael through Europe twice, um, each trip was a few years, um, and um, he, he, he chronicles in, in a diary called Magal Taiv, I think it's called, um, all the places that he was at. And he writes about when he went to Worms in Tavkuf Yadalid, and he met the Pnei Yeshua, and he writes at him, I was the young one, I was Zeicha, 
to meet the Pnei Hashrina for a few days. He looked like a Malach Hashem. Someone who reviewed that Sefer right, he doesn't write that anywhere about any Gadol that he met. He doesn't write um, what he wrote about the Pnei Yeshua. And he writes over there about his wife. He says, I was there for Shabbos. And he, he, he writes about all the delicacies he was served, but he really means all the Tyra that he was taught and he was, that they talked about. And he says, there was one thing that the Rav talked about and the Rabbitson told him, oh, this thing that you said is good and it's Emes. And the Rav turns her and says, oh, at least one thing that I said you're happy with. But he was writing that she was a very smart woman as well. Um, in... Um, Again, in Worms, he had trouble, and again, before Pesach, in Tovkuf Tesvav, he went, again went back to Frankfurt. Perhaps at this time, he wasn't trying to be the Rav, maybe he just wanted to be there, but again, people made trouble for him, and he had to leave Frankfurt for the third time. Um, at that time, his son came to Frankfurt to start the printing of the third Chalik of the Pnei Yeshua, but, and he was so happy to see him, but he had to leave. As we said, he had to leave for the third time. But he didn't go so far. He went to a place called Offenbach. Offenbach is really a suburb of Frankfurt. It's very close by. And um, he was able to see the, um, the, the, the um, examples of, of, uh, of what they were going to print, the kuntresim, of what they were going to print of his Pnei Yeshua. But he never saw the finished product of Chela Gimel. Because in Offenbach he became sick. And for the last few months of his li life he couldn't see it all. And um, before he was nifter, he was mumbling a lot, he was moving his lips, talking in Tyra, and he told someone he is reviewing the first drasha that he's going to say in Yeshiva Shamaila, because he's received an invitation to say a drasha when he gets there, and he has to, um, this is brought down the Yismach Moshe Anach, and he has to, uh, he has to prepare. Um, as he got as he got closer to his death, he called his sons and his children and his and his and his, uh, his sons, and he says he wants to be buried in Frankfurt. It's just like Rabbeinu Hakadosh said, don't um, don't eulogize me in the big cities. Um, he meant to say he doesn't want to be eulogized at all. Um, he doesn't want to be eulogized at all. No hespedim, and that was his tzivui. There should be no hespedim. He was nifter an erev Shabbos yudalit shvat. Tov Kuf Tezayin, 1756. Um, he was 72 years old. Matzah Shabbos, they brought his body to Frankfurt and he was buried in the old Frankfurt Cemetery on Sunday. In Shuvah Me'ava, the Talmud of the, of the Noida Behudah, um, he writes there in Simon Kufay and Dalid that the Noida Behudah said a hasbid on the Pnei Yeshua and he said, even though he gave a command not to give hespedim. Ein shaymin bazel. We don't listen to such commands. Lemishu rashke bahag to someone who is rabban shokol benehagayla. We don't honor that wish. He doesn't have a right to say that. And the Neidah Behuda was uh, masped him. And they used to say he was born in the year Ms. Tough Mem Aleph is Ms. And he was nifter in the year Yosher. Truth and straightness. And that's who he was. He was a person who was straight. He was Ms. And um, now the, it seems the Frankfurt Kiel at that point got very shook up. I guess they didn't realize exactly. Sometimes when you're in a situation, you don't realize exactly. And uh, they were very shook up about it. And they actually paid all the back pay to his family that they owed, owed him for his, uh, for his um, that they hadn't paid him for his salary. Let's just talk about his Sefer, the Pnei Yeshua. 
In the Akdama, he writes, he called it Pnei Yeshua because Panim Masbiris Lahalacha. It's like the faces explaining Halacha. There's such a, that's the terminology in Hebrew um, that you use. So it's the Pnei Yeshua, it's the face that explains things. He says, but since his grandfather also has a, has a Sefer, Chuvas Pnei Yeshua, his, his, his Sefer on, uh, on Shas was called Magine Shleimai because Magine Shleimai, he. he he um, protected um, the covet of Rashi, Rabbeinu Shleimai. Sefer Megina Shleimai is to answer Taisus' questions on Rashi and to be a shield for Rashi, but his chuvas are called Pnei Yeshua. So our Pnei Yeshua says, my grandfather has a Sefer with that name. So if you look in the cover page, in the title page of our Pnei Yeshua, it's called Apizutri, the small face. Because he's saying, I'm the small face compared to the Pnei Yeshua, the big face of my grandfather. And he also says that Apizutri is the gematria of Pnei Yaakov. If you remember, we said, he said that my second name is Yaakov. The name I was given secondary was Yaakov. So Apizutri is the gematria 323. Pnei Yaakov is gematria 322. Plus the Kailo means you're always able to add one to a gematria for the entire thing that's like added because of what, you, uh, what you've added up. So that's 323. He says, what's the purpose of my Sefer? My Sefer is to answer questions that Taisus asks on Rashi, any questions that are ended in Kushia or Tema, or if Taisus seems not to have given a clear Teretz, a Teretz that Dachuk, I want to give a better Teretz, or a different Teretz. Um, he says in the Hakdama that he made Tziyunim, which is like a pointy finger. Sometimes you see in the old Svarim, they have pointy fingers at certain places. He says, that's like a Chiddush that I want people to look at. You should think about it. And in places where, where Taisus or the Marsha left it as Sarachi and left it as a question, I also put that pointy finger there to uh, point that out. Um, he says, anyone who wants to write me Ha'aris, to write me commentary, he says, please do. And if I ever put out another version of this Sefer, I'll make a special kuntris in the back. Um, and I'll write that this and this person answered me on what I said, and I've made a mistake. If that's what actually, you know, if that's uh, what happened, I will retract. If you remember, the Aruch Lener did a very similar, a similar thing. He says, however, I'm asking you not to be so quick to argue on me, because most things that I said here were after tremendous, tremendous toil, sometimes a month, sometimes I would sit on a sugya um, for a month, and sometimes for days, sometimes for years, and I would add and I would detract from them. And he says... I made in the back of some of my svarim something called the Kuntras Achrain, which is like a little pamphlet where I went through everything that I wrote in a shorter version so that you don't have to go through all of the lengthy uh, Torah that I wrote. He says the only place that he didn't do that was in Masech de Gitin, because Masech de Gitin, since Gitin is such a serious Indian, he didn't want to make like a kitzer. He didn't want to make a shorter version. You have to go through the lengthy version to come to whatever psak. He says, I was afraid to do it. He says that Masechti um, Yavamis, he wants to print on, uh, actually three Masechtas, he wants to call them Minchas Ani. Ani stands for Erevin Nida and Yavamis. Imigzer Hashem Alai if Hashem lived, lets me live, I will write on Yavamis and these and these Masechtas. If you remember, the Aruch Lener said his first Sefer was, or he wrote on Yavamis, because since the Pnei Yeshua wanted to write on Yavamis, and he didn't get a chance to do it, so he had a, a, a desire to write on Yavamis. 
Um, the cuts they say over B'shem the Kutzker that before he started writing the Sefer Pnei Yeshua, the Rabbi Yaakov Yeshua learned Shas 36 times. Um, in the Sefer Zikaron Lamoisha that was put out for the 100th yard site of the Chassam Sefer, he brings there from a tshuva called Avnei Tzadek, that it says, I heard from the mouth, I myself heard from the mouth of the Chassam Sefer, that from the times of the Rajba, like Kam Chibur Kipnei Yeshua. From the Chibur of the Rajba, there hasn't been a Sefer like the Sefer Pnei Yeshua. And like we said, his Derech Halimud was to go through the Rishonim and the Achroinim. He talks about his grandfather's Torah, the Megin Shlaima as well. And, ha- and many times he says, this is what I've written, Uvi Yeshiva Hairachti. And in the Yeshiva, I had even more longer discussions about it that I'm not writing down here. If he ever had to argue on someone, his grandfather, or even Rishonim or Achrainim, he would do so with an unbelievable humility. And if there was a time that he actually was mechavin to one of the Rishonim, on his own, he was with great simcha. And in Megillah Daftezayin, it's... Um, when Taisus over there talks about the Shkalim of Haman, the 10,000 Shkalim with the Maxis HaShekel, so Taisus, a very short Taisus there, says that the Cheshben of the two things are equal, and um, the Pnei Yeshua gives an exact uh, calculation of how that works out to, be, to understand Taisus. And then he writes, he says that when I was looking in Hilchas Purim in the Rekeach, I found that he talks about Megillus Esther, of Sajrush about Megillus Esther, and I see that he wrote exactly, I wrote exactly like he said as well, Zochisi lechavin zal, He was so full of simcha. So the Rekeach was a person who was zaycha to Ruach HaKadosh, and I was mechavin to him. Ulai bar mazla milsa. Maybe I have like the same mazel as him, just for this thing, for this thing maybe we have the same mazel. And then he says a Peladika thing, and he says, Uladaiti, I think, Belisafik, without any doubt, that this Taisis in Masechta Megillah is really the Rekeach, even though Rekeach is not from the Bali Ataisvis, but he writes, Shehaya Bimechach Meataisis, he lived in those days, and therefore it's no doubt to me that that Taisvis is the Rekeach, and the Rekeach himself gives the exact Cheshman, and the Pnei Yeshua was Mechavan to that. He started writing a Sefer al Taira, and he wanted to show how all Minhagi Yisrael are Merumas in the Taira. He only wrote up to Parshas Nayach, about 30 pages, and he was Nifter. Um, and I don't think that uh, anyone has that Sefer that I'm aware of. Um, there's something called now Chuvas Pnei Yeshua, that they collected Chuvas from all different Svarim, that they found as Chuvas, and from some uh, Kisveyad that they had. Um, in, in his Svarim, he, re- he refers many times to Kuntresim that he wrote, different pamphlets, Kutris Hagadol, a big one that we don't have. In that Sefer Chuvis Pnei Yeshua, they have at the end there, they found a piece of it, just the beginning of the Kuntris Hagadol. I just want to end off with a vart from the Pnei Yeshua, Ambrochus Hey, and this is Matim to the Pnei Yeshua's life, as we see his life was a life of turmoil. He didn't have a lot of peace, wandering from city to city, always having tsaris in every city that he was at. And um, he writes about Yisurim Shalava. He says, what's this idea that Hashem gives Yisurim Shalava? What's the purpose of it? And he answers that um, the neshama is connected to the guf, and any neshama, as holy as it is, connected to the guf, becomes a little gashmiya stick. And because it comes a little physical uh, gashmiya to it, um, it cannot get the oiris hal yoinim, the light, the upper lights. And the only way is through Yisurim, that purify it. And when it's purified, it's kilu in it's basically the guf and the neshama, 
are only connected for very little, only what's necessarily to stay alive in Olam Hazeh. And through that, that neshama, when it finally fully separates, is able to get the iris hal yoinim, the schar from shamayim. And this is an unbelievable vart for someone who suffered so much in his life, was full of yisurim. Schusa yagen aleinu, ushabizaycha, that the schus of the Pnei Yeshua, whose yard say will be, like we said, next week, Yedalit Shvat, Tav Kuf Tezayin, 265th yard site. Schusa yagen aleinu, ba'akal Yisrael, amen. Have a wonderful day, everyone. Kal Tov.